0: Pastor Xavier Reese describes receiving a free gift made easy. He therefore, who has entered into God's
1: rest, meaning in the last days, rests on the work and person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that person ceases to attempt any merits of works of righteousness to enter this rest or to merit salvation. You can bring nothing, you come as you are,
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Overworked, stressed out, and little time to stop and think. Does that describe you? Today, Pastor Xavier explores the source of true rest from his continued study in the book of Hebrews. Now take a moment to join him in Chapter 4 for today's Simple Truths study titled, Jesus is Superior to Joshua's Rest.
1: One author put it this way. Listen well. Neglectors easily become rejectors. The second division, which goes from chapter 4 here, verse 1 to 13, focuses on the admonition of these Hebrew Christians to enter into God's rest for their salvation, lest any of them fall according to the same example of disobedience. In fact, the key word, as you probably have picked up already, is the word rest eight times in chapter 4, twice in chapter 3, rest. The entire second division can be summed up by two imperatives that we find. In verse 1, let us fear lest we fall short of entering into his rest. And then in verse 11, let us be diligent to enter into his rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So, what we want to do is look at the rest of Jesus, which um, provides the superior rest, uh, having the finished work compared to Joshua, and is laid out for us in three movements. Verses 1 through 5, the proclamation for resting in the completed work of salvation. Verses 6 through 10, the explanation for resting in the completed work of salvation. And then verse 12 and 13, the exhortation. To enter or for resting in the complete work of salvation. So you have the proclamation, the explanation, and the exhortation. And he lays it out. And so the explanation for resting in the complete work of salvation. Notice first in verse 6. The rest in Canaan was to all, but not all took advantage of it. There remained that some must enter in. All over The age of 20 years of age, you know they died in the wilderness, 38 years. The only one who entered was Caleb and Joshua. They thought their children were going to die, but their children inherited the land. The rest of Joshua was not final, but still pointing to the future, he says right here. Therefore, those who believe must enter that rest in faith. Those who? Those are the last day. These are the sum. This is the last day. Joshua was pointing to these last days, and he'll make this more clear as we move along. Notice also there in verse 6 that those who heard did not enter due to disobedience. The word preached means those who were the subjects of the announced good news. Literally, news of victory. Parallel to the gospel. They heard it just like we've heard it. Canaan again represented the life of faith and dependence on God to conquer the enemy, not heaven. Many times some of the songs in the church say, oh, Canaan is heaven. No, it isn't. There's no giants in heaven. There's no wall cities in heaven. There's no enemies. When they went to the Red Sea, I told you it was a life of sight. God parted the Red Sea. They looked at it. Then they walked through. But when they came to the Canaan 38 years later after the rebellion, God says, now the priest has to step into the flood, Jordan, during flood season. And as the toe hits the water, then I'll part it. Now you've got to believe me. You've got to step up by faith. Canaan is a life of faith where you trust God for the giants, for the walled cities. And you don't freak out. Oh, I'm I'm going back to the world. I'm going to take care of this. Joshua saw an angel with a sword drawn. He says, are you for us or our enemy? He says, I am for no one. I am the commander of the Lord's army. (laughs) And he was going to go before them. He's neither for Joshua nor for the enemy. He's for those who are for him. You see? And so they failed to enjoy their inheritance because of disobedience. Notice secondly here, verse 7. The sin of unbelief that led to rebellion and disobedience is not limited to the one generation, nor procrastination to enter in. So the author calls attention to the call of the psalmist to enter into God's rest for the fourth and last time. 500 years after Joshua, the Holy Spirit already spoke in chapter 3, verse 7, regarding the psalm. Now, David... Is mentioned because he's the author of the Holy Spirit through him. No contradiction. 500 years later, the proclamation of David was still valid. And this is the point. A designated day. It's still valid for today. If the warning was true for those in the wilderness, the rest was available for a marked-out time set out by God. Not their own timing. And so notice 30 in verse 8 and 9. The rest of Canaan pointed to a future rest. The promised rest that Joshua led was only a type of one yet to come. The name Joshua there is Jesus, and Jesus is Joshua, because Joshua is a Hebrew and Jesus is Greek, and they're using the Septuagint translation. Okay, It's the same name, but two different people. Don't confuse them. Joshua gave them a temporal and physical rest while Jesus gave them internal and spiritual rest superior in every way. Joshua was a type of Jesus who spoke of another day, the rest of the last days. Therefore, there is a rest for the people of God beyond Canaan and beyond David's days. This is the conclusion of the author here. The rest of the last days in the heavenly calling, which he's already mentioned in chapter 3, verse 1, comprises Jew and Gentile in one body, the church. Distinct from Israel. Different. Now notice the word rest there. It's the word sabatismo. In Spanish, Saturday is sabado. There's your root, okay? Same thing. Sabbath. It's the Sabbath rest. All who believe in Jesus can enter this rest which is known to everybody. Everybody knows about creation and the six days and the seventh is the Sabbath of creation. So everybody who believes in Jesus enters this Sabbath rest to fellowship with God, resting in what He has done. But notice fourthly in verse 10. The evidence of those who went to the rest of God for salvation is given to us here. He therefore, who has entered into God's rest, meaning in the last days, rests, On the work and person of Jesus Christ. Right now, he's dealing with the person of Christ. When he gets to chapter 4, verse 14, he began to focus on the work of Christ. Therefore, that person ceases to attempt any merits of works of righteousness to enter this rest or to merit salvation. That was the problem with the Jews. Paul told the Romans, they go about trying to establish their own righteousness by the law instead of accepting Christ as their righteousness. You can bring nothing. You come as you are. And when you're saved, you can look back at nothing that you did or anything that you had. <laughs> I am saved solely by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one: God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Him and him alone. By grace I am saved through faith, that not of myself. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. All you can do is accept it and enter in. You remember Jesus speaking. He said, I will liken a wise man as one who builds his house on the rock. The foolish builds his house on sand. Many people take that context in Matthew and say, yeah, yeah, rock. I'm I'm saying I I believe Jesus for my salvation. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being a doer. If you're just a hearer, then you build your house on sand because you're not a doer you just hear, But if you're a doer, your house is built on the rock. And many people go to church and they're hearers. And they're not doers. And their house is built on sand. And the storms will come. And when they come, their house does fall. It falls and they are broken and then they enter in trusting Jesus or they don't. And so... Understand that you're wise if you're a doer of what you hear. That's the whole thing. If you're not a doer, then you're foolish. And you're building your house on sand. And storms will come. The winds will beat. The individual choice to repent of one's sins and enter into the full rest is a choice. Jesus said, listen to him, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Who do you speak this to? The rich young ruler. What must I do to be saved? Works. And you will have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Watch, for he had great possessions. Wasn't that he couldn't be saved. It's that he didn't want to be saved. His God was his money. Some Christians never enter the rest of their salvation and they don't enjoy their inheritance. It's always strife. It's always one thing, it's another. I'm not talking about testings. I'm not talking about trials. We all have those. But you're not resting. You got one foot in the world and one in the church. You feed your flesh more than you do your spirit. You're still walking after the flesh. It's a miserable place to be. Listen to James uh, 4.14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and when and then vanishes away. Our life is so temporal, people. What is your hope to live to? Like I said 120? Then what are you going to do by eternity? You're
0: not know, really got a good
1: deal going right now. Can you come back tomorrow? i got to sign the bottom line. Today... I can't, you know, I just moved in with this great babe today. <laughs> the explanation for resting in the completed work of salvation is final and conclusive. You can think no other. Now notice. The proclamation, the explanation, now he gives the exhortation. That's always good because you don't want to get down on people and then just walk away. Don't tell them how to do it, right? And so notice verse 11 through 13 First of all, in the exhortation to rest in this completed work, in verse 11, the personal invitation is in view of the danger. He doesn't water it down. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into his rest. The second strong imperative, to be decisive as the first. The author Paul once again identifies himself with them. Look at, let us, he already said we. Now, was he drifting? No, no. He's, he's coming alongside. You do it as a parent to your child. Come on, let's see what we can do to fix this. Come on, let, 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 we'll get it done together. You come alongside them to encourage them because you love them. And so the obedience is the only wise conclusion. Therefore, in the word diligent, means to make haste, to exert oneself, to be eager, to do one's best to realize that rest opposed to being negligent and disobedient and unbelieving and not paying heed. Therefore, brethren, listen to 1 Peter 1.10. Be even more diligent, same word, to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. We rest in the Lord. Our diligence is in doing everything to remain in that rest, not to work for our salvation, you understand? My salvation it's complete in him. I'm diligent to go into that rest. Same word Paul uses for Timothy when he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. 2 Timothy 4, 9. Diligent. Do all that you can to come. Do your best. Notice, lest any man fall according to the same example of being. This is the reason. He doesn't remove it. He doesn't water it down. The potential is real in view of their wanting to return to the sacrifice of animal for the forgiveness of their sins. There was no forgiveness anymore. It's like if the government said, okay, starting next week, by next Monday, $5 bills are going to be worthless. So you must take them into the bank this week and replace all your $5 bills. And you kind of forget that you had a wad of fives at home. And come Tuesday morning, you find them and you go, oh. But, you know, you're going to try to... Take them to bonds, <laughs> but they're going to bust you, and they're worthless. This is what he's saying, okay? You go back to animal sacrifice, there's no forgiveness there. What are you doing? He'll get more in detail on, in detail on that as we move along. But notice secondly here in verse 12. The personal reminder is in view of their intentions to trust the work of the law for their salvation rather than God's word for the last days. That word they received. Notice the word here of God is said to be three things. He's going to say living, powerful, and sharp as two-edged sword. Now, remember, he's quoted Psalm 95, right? So he's talking about God's word, so he's referring to God's word of the Old Testament, Psalm 95. But if you look to verse 13, there's a personal pronoun. So he could be using the inference that it refers both to the written word and to Jesus Christ, the living word. See, so you have both of them here. Now, the word of God has said what? Living, breathing, alive. The word refers to imparting eternal life, not death. It's a living word. 1 Peter 2.3 says we're born again by that. Powerful, meaning active, energy effective. In fact, we get our word energy from this word. It is efficient. It declares and accomplishes what God sends it to do. Isaiah fifty-five eleven says, "His word accomplishes that which he purposes to do." The word is proclaimed. People accept it. They believe it. They repent. Their sins are forgiven. They're born again. They get turned alive. They hear it. They reject it. The word judges them. It gives man an opportunity to turn from his sin. If not, they are under judgment without any excuse. Jesus says. Take heed how you hear and what you hear, even as the preaching of Jonah. Save Nineveh. It wasn't because Jonah was such a loving pastor. <laughs> Forty days, you're destroyed. Forty days, you're destroyed. And all along he's saying, "I hope they don't repent. I hope they don't repent." And he goes out and sits at the end of the, outside the city and says, "Okay, I'm going to see if you're going to save them, Lord." Oh, you did save them. I can't believe it. Just kill me, kill me, Jonah. There are a hundred and some thousand kids that can't tell their left or right hand. Shouldn't I be merciful? That's the way it ends. Nobody says nothing. Why? Jonah finally got the message. Yes, Lord. Sharper than a 2 edged sword. It cuts. They hear. I think there's a play on words here in that how did the children fall? Remember that God said, you're not going to enter in? And they, oh, no, we'll go up, we'll go up. And he tells Moses, tell them not to go up. And they went up and the enemy killed him with what? The sword. Interesting. Sharp edged sword. The Word of God does two very important things. Notice it says, piercing, even division of the soul and the spirit, and the joint and the marrow. Piercing means to penetrate, to go through, a dividing, a separating. They're supplements. They, they, they reinforce what it's meaning here. And the word of God deals with the spiritual, the pneuma of man, the spirit of the new man. He deals with me spiritually, and he, and he shows me what is soulish, that which is intellect, emotion, and will. And sometimes I think I can play God like I play people. I go, oh, nobody likes me, this and that. And we go, oh, come in, let me pray, because I can't know your heart. God says, shut up, get up. <laughs> we try to snow each other. You don't snow God. You understand it cuts you. You get into the word and oh, Lord. Deals with the whole man. The natural heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jesus said it is from the heart to perceive evil thought fornication adultery. Matthew 15, 18 through 19. Twice we already have seen that we've been told. They always go astray in their hearts and warns them of an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. In chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. Notice thirdly in verse 13, the personal caution is in view that they cannot escape God. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Somehow man thinks he can get over on God like he does with man. You cannot. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom we have to give an account or must give an account. Now when you examine these two verses in light of the context, it takes a little different understanding now, doesn't it? We always quote it apart from the context, but it's talking about the preaching of the gospel that you can't give no lame excuses to God. He knows the chances you've had, and He knows where your life's at, and He knows whether you're living it or not. He knows if you're resting in what you've heard. The word naked is self-explanatory. It means having no clothes. What's beneath is revealing. Sometimes it's ugly. Open means to lay bare or to expose. And it's used three ways. It's used of a wrestler who seizes a poem by the throat and twists it in combat. It's used of a malefactor whose neck is bent back to face the spectators to face his guilt. And it's used of exposing the neck of a sacrificial victim at the altar to flay it and to dissect it. In other words, everyone is exposed before God. The Word exposes us. Jesus, the Judge of the world, the Father has committed to Him. He said that in John five twenty two. Again, here the context: Psalm ninety five, the Word of God. The story of the rich man and Lazarus by Jesus is very important because there he shared about the man who had everything in life, and he didn't take eternal life seriously. The other having nothing, the beggar, did. Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven because he wanted to impact man of the seriousness and the certainty of hell. Pretty clear message to me. But men walk around with no fear. There is no contradiction to resting and to do one's best to enter that rest. It is not a contradiction. Listen to Jesus in Luke uh, 13, 24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Men are constantly striving to enter in by their own way. You cannot. The word strive, we get our word agonizo. It means agonize. Jesus gave rest to the weary. He says, all those who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Rest in me. Learn all about me so that you don't have to be, in rest. I've done it all. Learn to trust me. Learn to depend upon me. Learn to abide in me. Draw from my resources unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or think. Oh, I don't think Jesus wants to do that for me. Well, have you asked him? No, I don't think that. Ask him. Is it, it go along with the Bible? Well, yeah, well, go to prayer. See what God asks. Jesus had made peace with God for me. Romans 12, 5, 1 and 2. I have the peace of God for every situation in life. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. To keep my, God, my heart and my mind. So I don't get blown away. Again, the failure is not in the word, it's not in the preacher, it's in the individual. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Two reasons we should be diligent to labor into the rest. First, the word is efficient and God sees our diligence to strive or not to strive. We have no excuses. No one will be able to put a pull a fast one on Jesus. We all will stand before the behemoth of seed of Christ in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and we will be rewarded for the deeds why we did them. Everyone who rejects the gospel will stand before the white throne judgment in Revelations 20, verse 11 through 15 and they will be judged for their sins no second opportunity. The exhortation for resting in the complete work of salvation is beneficial only by personal choice. Hmm. And so the three movements that really show us the rest of Jesus being superior to Joshua's by the proclamation of resting in the complete work of salvation, it's available to all. The explanation for resting the complete work of salvation is final and conclusive. And the exhortation for resting the complete work of salvation is beneficial only by personal choice. So I don't know where you are today. If you don't know Him, we pray that you come. If you're straddling the fence, get on one side or the other. Rest in Christ. He's done it all.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, extending an invitation for eternal hope and rest with today's Simple Truths. Now, if you'd like your own copy of today's study, ask for Jesus is Superior to Joshua's Rest. It's available on CD for only $4. By the way, this will also include everything we shared the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is, Jesus is Superior to Joshua's Rest, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Jesus, He not only sits at the right hand of God, but he's made a place for us in eternity in the heavens as well. Find out how next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.